0: Section 4 of The Heroines of History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine H. The Heroines of History by John S. Jenkins. Section 4. Cleopatra Part 3 anthony was in raptures with everything he saw and heard his expectations were far exceeded his wildest imaginings had not dwelt upon such splendor and magnificence the following day he returned the compliment but his entertainment was so mean compared with hers that he was obliged to acknowledge himself outdone he had boasted that cleopatra should pay him tribute or resign her kingdom but now he yielded all to her, and even caused her sister, Arsinoe, who had taken refuge in Diana's temple at Miletus, to be put to death, at her request that there should be no rival to contest her throne. She encouraged all his follies, humored every caprice, and laughed at every whim. His coarseness she returned with interest and with infinite wit and grace." He sought her love with warmest protestations, but she yielded with coy submission. "'Nay, swear that you love me,' she said. "'Swear by the Holy Osiris.' "'I swear,' he said. Thenceforth she called herself the wife of Antony, though no rite nor ceremony had sanctioned their illicit love. Day after day was given to feasting each entertainment surpassing in elegance that which preceded it antony was astonished at the wealth so lavishly displayed by cleopatra she only sneered at what she called his parsimony at a banquet given by her he expressed his wonder at the great number of golden cups enriched with jewels and beautifully wrought that adorned the tables she said they were but trifles and gave them to him THE NEXT DAY SHE PROVIDED A STILL MORE COSTLY ENTERTAINMENT. ANTONY, AS WAS HIS CUSTOM, BROUGHT WITH HIM ALL HIS OFFICERS OF RANK, AND WHEN THE FEAST WAS ENDED, SHE BESTOWED ON EACH GUEST THE VESSELS OF GOLD AND SILVER HE HAD USED. AT ANOTHER OF HER BANQUETS SHE WORE IN HER earrings TWO PEARLS OF IMMENSE VALUE. AND HAVING MADE A WAGER WITH ANTONY THAT SHE COULD SPEND MORE THAN TEN THOUSAND sestercia UPON A SINGLE ENTERTAINMENT, THE VALUE OF THE DIFFERENT DISHES WAS ESTIMATED, BUT FALLING SHORT OF THAT SUM, SHE DECLARED THAT SHE COULD LAY OUT SO MUCH UPON HERSELF, AND CALLING FOR A CUP OF VINEGAR, DISSOLVED IN IT ONE OF THE PEARLS, AND THEN DRANK OFF THE COSTLY DRAFT. SHE WAS ABOUT TO DO THE SAME WITH THE OTHER PEARL, BUT THE UMPIRE STOPPED HER and decided the wager in her favor forgetful alike of public duties and private ties and obligations antony lingered away the time at tarsus in revelry and dalliance affairs in syria demanded his attention in consequence of the warlike demonstrations of parthia yet they were neglected at rome his individual interests were suffering by reason of his continued absence But his spirited and ambitious wife, Fulvia, in vain besought him to hasten his return. A spell was thrown around him which he had not the desire, if he possessed the power, to break. The tighter his chains were drawn, the closer he hugged them, the more he loved the beautiful tyrant whose willing slave he was. From Tarsus Antony and Cleopatra proceeded to Tyre, at which place she was to embark for Alexandria. Here he designed to separate from her, in order to lead the Roman army against the Parthian forces, then preparing to enter Syria. But this was not her intention. She had lost Caesar, as she thought, mainly through her own neglect to render her influence over him secure. It was her ambition now to become the acknowledged wife of Antony his prospects were as fair if not prematurely blighted as those of the younger caesar whose superior he was in age in experience and perhaps in popularity as his wife then she would not only remain the queen of egypt but she might be empress of rome and of the world to suffer him to leave her therefore till the fulfilment of these hopes which once buried in the grave of caesar had now revived again would be to ruin them for ever her arts and blandishments proved irresistible home country duty and ambition all were forgotten by antony instead of leading his soldiers to new victories and planting the roman eagles in triumph on the banks of the euphrates he accompanied cleopatra to alexandria in the egyptian capital the scenes at tarsus were renewed gave himself up to all the wild-fierce passions of his nature, and reveled in debauchery and excess. She did not once make the attempt to restrain him, but gave encouragement to every folly, and rejoiced whenever she was able to provide some new pleasure for his entertainment. This was the secret of her power, and she did not hesitate to use it. She was with him day and night, they gamed and feasted and drank together they fished and hunted in each other's company and she attended him when he reviewed his troops disguised as slaves they rambled through the city in the dusk of evening making themselves merry with the faults and frailties of the inhabitants jesting rudely with those they met and playing tricks upon them and often becoming involved in serious brawls and difficulties They called their mode of life inimitable, and it was so, for it was characterized by unrestrained indulgence and extravagance unbounded. But, while she thus encouraged and ministered to his vices, she neglected no opportunity to impress him and those who were about them, with the notion that she possessed superior tact and sagacity. She treated his opinions with levity and exacted a large share of deference for her own. Even their amusements furnished occasions for triumph over him, which she failed not to improve. One day, when they were fishing, he was deeply chagrined at his ill success, and ordered one of the fishermen to dive under the water secretly, and fasten some of the larger fishes that had been taken upon his hook, so that the raillery of the queen might not be provoked. She discovered the trick at once, but affected not to perceive it, and on the following day invited a still more numerous company to witness similar sport, but she privately instructed an experienced diver in her service to procure a salted fish from the market, and when a favorable opportunity offered, to attach it to Antony's hook. This was done, and he drew up the fish amid the laughter and merriment of the whole party, go general she exclaimed leave fishing to us petty princes of pharos and canopus your game is cities kingdoms and provinces at length antony was aroused from his folly and inaction by the intelligence that the parthian army had been repeatedly victorious in syria and that his presence was absolutely necessary to prevent fresh disasters the news from rome too was far from pleasing to him his wife and brother more watchful of his interests than himself had raised an army to check the ambitious designs of octavius but they had been overpowered and were forced to flee from italy he proceeded to phoenicia however but the letters of fulvia finally induced him to turn his course toward rome she died at sician on her way to meet him and he was afterward reconciled to young Caesar and married his sister Octavia. Her gentle virtues did not fail to win upon his better nature, but the marriage had been based upon political considerations solely, and he soon began to tire of the restraints it imposed. Memory often dwelt upon the fascinating charms of the fair Egyptian, and he longed to return to her again, but durst not hazard a rupture with his brother-in-law and co triumvir years passed by the world had been divided between the triumvirs and antony had received for his portion the countries lying east of the ionian sea important matters of state and the active duties of his life diverted his mind from cleopatra yet she was not forgotten the condition of affairs in syria once more demanded his attention and, leaving Octavia behind him at Rome, he revisited the scenes around which clustered so many pleasant but guilty recollections. There Cleopatra joined him again, upon his earnest solicitation, though she did not attempt to conceal her anger because he had deserted her and married Octavia. She was still ambitious, and still claimed the name and station of his wife. She loved him also, it may be, and was jealous of her roman rival to appease her therefore he gave her the provinces of phoenicia the lower syria the isle of cyprus and a great part of cilicia with the balm producing portion of judea and a large and fertile tract of arabia upon the twin children alexander and cleopatra which she had borne him he bestowed the surnames of the sun and moon after spending several months with him cleopatra returned to egypt and he proceeded against the parthians with a powerful and well-appointed army but the unwise delay was fatal to the expedition which was wholly unsuccessful and when he returned to phoenicia it was with the mere remnant of the proud array he had led across the sandy plains of syria the timely arrival of cleopatra at sidon where he awaited her with supplies of clothing and provisions alone saved his army from utter destruction henceforth the wiles of the charming queen were far more powerful with antony than all other influences combined now that he was restored to her she resolved not to lose sight of him again separated from him she was but the sovereign of a petty kingdom with him a ruler of the world she was not only the companion of his pleasures, but she governed and controlled him. Accordingly, all her arts were employed to retain him near her, and they were not employed in vain. Octavia came as far as Athens to meet her lord and husband, but he sent her back to Rome with bitter words. This was Cleopatra's triumph, but she rued it bitterly in the hour of her humiliation. She saved Egypt from the Romans' grasp, but sacrificed herself. Antony became her veriest slave. For her sake he heaped indignities upon his lawful wife, and added to them the last and foulest one of all, repudiation. She conquered, but unmanned him. The pride and daring of the soldier were not, indeed, altogether subdued in the effeminacy of the lover and the weakness of the debauchee, After spending another winter at the Egyptian capital, wearied and sated with pleasures, he took the field again the following spring. Armenia was conquered, and its captive monarch dragged through Alexandria, where he celebrated his triumph, at his chariot wheels, laden with chains of gold, and thus presented to the lovely siren who was the victor's victor. Again the banquet and the feast filled up the time, and sport, and revelry, and dalliance, made Antony the wreck of what he was. But his return to Rome was thus prevented, and it was that she ardently desired. Her charms were fading now. In a few years, their influence would be no longer felt, and it would seem that she hoped to retain her power by ministering to his coarser passions and desires. Once more he prepared to lead his soldiers against the Parthian, cleopatra had promised to accompany him to the euphrates and she had pictured to herself bright scenes of future glory and conquest but before they set out upon the expedition the ceremony of the coronation of herself and children was performed in the palace court a throne of solid gold with steps of silver was ordered to be placed seated upon this and clad in a robe of gorgeous purple embroidered with gold and fastened with diamonds was antony himself with a golden sceptre in his hand at his side a persian scimitar and on his head the diadem of the persian kings on his right hand was cleopatra in the robes of isis made of costly asbeston the lotus twined about the diadem upon her head and in her hand the rattling sistrum Beneath them sat Caesarion, the son of Julius Caesar, and Alexander and Ptolemy, the sons of Antony and Cleopatra. At Antony's command, the heralds proclaimed Cleopatra queen of Egypt, Cyprus, Libya, and lower Syria, and named her son Caesarion as her colleague. The other princes were then proclaimed kings of kings, and the kingdoms and provinces of the east were divided between them. Thus ended the pageant, and it was all but empty show. Cleopatra accompanied Antony in his expedition, for they were now inseparable. They proceeded as far as the Orassus, but alarming news from Rome recalled them. They then directed their course to Greece, at Ephesus, at Samos, and at Athens, spending weeks and months in revelry and feasting, which, profitably employed, WOULD HAVE MADE THEM MASTERS OF ROME, AND THUS REALIZED THE GLORIOUS DREAMS OF HER PROUD AMBITION. NEVER WAS WOMAN SO SELF-DECEIVED. SHE ANTICIPATED AN EASY VICTORY OVER THE stripling CAESAR WHEN ANTONY DECLARED WAR AGAINST HIM. HER JEALOUS PRIDE ROSE HIGH WITH THE THOUGHT THAT OCTAVIA WOULD BE HUMBLED, THAT ANTONY WOULD BE THE WORLD'S GREAT MASTER, AND SHE ITS MISTRESS. The delusion was not a strange one, and from it she never woke, till, from her galley's deck at Actium, she saw that all was lost. Had Antony pushed on to Rome, he could scarcely have failed of victory. It was not his wish that Cleopatra should remain with him, but, fearing, with very good reason, that a reconciliation would take place between Octavius and Antony if she returned to Egypt— She bribed one of the counsellors of the latter, in whom he placed great confidence, to advise that she should continue at his side. Antony lingered away most precious time, and when at last he ventured to risk an engagement, he listened to the advice of Cleopatra, instead of following his own better judgment, and offered battle at sea. The hostile fleets encountered each other before the promontory of Actium. Foreseeing certain defeat, on account of the imbecility and want of skill displayed by Antony, Cleopatra determined to secure her own personal safety, and left the scene of the engagement with her fifty galleys. Antony might still have made a noble stand, but his courageous spirit seemed to have forsaken him. He gave up everything, without a struggle worthy of his name and character, and followed the flying Cleopatra. Having been received into her galley, they hastened with all speed to alexandria not to make a noble stand in defence of what was left to them but to forget their folly in the wildest excesses or in the intervals of dissipation to load each other with reproaches it is as two jealous lovers not bound together by the sacred tendrils of an honest affection but united by an unholy passion that antony and cleopatra are from this time to be regarded they loved and hated one another by turns they doubted and deceived each other one day she spent in feasting with him as in former days and on the next refused to see him she feared as had been the case before so often that antony would make his peace with caesar and so she resolved to provide for her own security "'by secretly dispatching friendly messages to the conqueror. "'Upon the arrival of Octavius with his army "'before the walls of Alexandria, "'the warrior-heart of Antony aroused itself once more. "'He made a gallant sally, "'and drove back the advancing legions. "'But the advantage he received was but temporary, "'and on the following day the fleet of Cleopatra "'was surrendered by her command to Caesar.' antony sought the queen forthwith to charge her with her treachery but she had now immured herself with all her most valuable treasures in a lofty tomb which she had caused to be erected beside the temple of isis in reply to the inquiries of antony from whose ungovernable rage the worst consequences were feared in case they saw each other then it was told him that she had killed herself his love for her at once returned and shutting himself up in his apartment he fell upon his sword at this moment an officer came to inform him that cleopatra was still alive and at his request he was carried to the tomb and there he died folded in her arms those arms whose fascinating embraces had brought him to this strait by stratagem the officers of octavius obtained admission into the tomb Whereupon she attempted to stab herself with a dagger, but her design was frustrated by their interference. Octavius himself now came to see her. She appeared before him, clothed in a simple under tunic, thinking, perhaps, the charms displayed so freely might move him, but he did not deign to notice them. The deadly sorrow, charactered in her face, had robbed her of her former beauty she then urged him with tears to spare her children and herself and leave them undisturbed in egypt he promised fairly but she doubted him and she determined to die by her own hand rather than be led in triumph like the humblest slave before the car of the roman conqueror this degradation she had always feared her high soul revolted at the prospect which she saw before her and sooner than be young Caesar's captive she resolved to perish nobly although unqueened yet like a queen with the effect of different poisons she had made herself perfectly familiar and either by this means or as was commonly believed by the bite of an asp secretly introduced into the tomb her life was ended such was the fate of Cleopatra FAULTS AND VICES SHE EXHIBITED WHICH, REVOLTING AS THEY WERE, NEED NOT BE EXCUSED IN HER, FOR THEY WERE CHARACTERISTIC OF HER AGE. THOUGH HER VIRTUES WERE MENTAL ONLY, THEY DESERVE TO BE REMEMBERED. IT SHOULD NOT BE FORGOTTEN ALSO THAT HISTORY, ALL PARTIAL TO THE ROMAN AS IT IS, HAS SCARCELY DONE HER JUSTICE. SHE LOVED CAESAR, AND TO HER IT SEEMED NOT GUILTY. SHE WAS AMBITIOUS, TOO, not only desiring to save her throne and kingdom, but to reign in Rome. In her intercourse with Antony, she was prompted not by sensual motives only, but chiefly by policy and ambition. She was indeed mistaken as to the effect of the means and arts which she employed to win him to her. Judged by the times in which she lived, this was her error. End of Section 4